Holy God, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, over the past several years, uh, I have read more about pandemics than I ever thought I would have to in my life. Um, I do not have a degree in epidemiology or biology or any kind of science. In fact, I was trying to think about when the last time I took a science class is, because you know, I was a history major in college, but they still make you take some science. And I can remember 2006, spring year of my freshman year of college, taking a class that was an astronomy course. Uh, it was titled Life in the Universe, so there was a biological component to it, uh, but it was in no way let's, a useful science class. Let's just say that. Life in the universe, this will shock you, is a completely speculative field. But so I have spent the last few years reading about pandemics for the same reason that all of us have spent time learning about pandemics. But this year I learned, this week, I learned about a pandemic that I actually do understand a little bit about. The Surgeon General of the United States issued a report of a health crisis in our country one that is more dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, one that is more dangerous than avoiding exercise, that is more dangerous than obesity. What is this dangerous illness? It is loneliness. We are in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. And medical professionals have begun to say and begun to discover that staying in social connection with others is incredibly important. And that when you measure for mortality, it is one of the most dangerous things that can happen to you, to lose your connection with others. And we, in many ways, live in a world that is less connected, at least when it comes to in-person contact. We can talk about social media contact all we want, but it is in-person community that helps keep folks healthy. So this epidemic is due to a lot of things. In the late 90s, Robert Putnam wrote the book Bowling Alone, in which he talked about the decline of civic institutions and voluntary associations, including churches. You can point to the, the advent and increase of social media, which connects people virtually but not necessarily in person. You can point to the political polarization. People increasingly don't want to associate with their neighbors who don't agree with them. And let's face it, none of your neighbors agree with you on everything. Or you can point to an increase in things like work. Americans work more hours. Or if you have kids in school, you can point to the race for more extracurricular activities. Kids do more and more and more. There's this endless list of things that can contribute to this. Some of them are things that we might be able to do something about, and some of them are going to require system-wide thinking about what is most important to us. But as I read this report this week, this reminds me about how important relationships are. 
that our relationships with other people aren't just what we do for fun, but they're actually good for our health. They're an important part of who we are. Well, today in the church, we are celebrating Trinity Sunday. The majority of Christians, but not all, believe that God is not one person, but three, in the same substance, but distinct, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this has something to tell us about our need for relationships, because what it says is that our God does not exist isolated from relationships. Rather, our God is inherently in relationship. We can't even understand God without talking about God's relationships. And if we are created in the image of God, then this essentially says what the Surgeon General has said, we can't exist without relationships. Who we are is bound to the people who make up our community. And maybe that's a really obvious observation. I think a lot of people would say the main role of the church is the creation and the fostering of meaningful, loving relationships. But what we'll see in the scripture for today, as well as in the Trinity, is that community and connection has always been a part of what it means to be church. So let's listen to our scripture today from 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Be restored, listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. May God bless this reading. Well, this reading comes from the very end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. And it's sort of a benediction to the church, a blessing for this church as they try to live their lives together. And it brings together these two elements. The first is your run-of-the-mill guidance for living in community. He says, be restored, listen to my appeal, agree with one another, live in peace. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And this kiss in the early church was actually a sign of reconciliation. As in, settle all of your disputes among yourselves before you come to the altar and seal it with a kiss. Then Paul shifts from this conversation about, you know, just be nice to one another to this benediction. And he says, the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the communion of the Holy Spirit. He uses these descriptors and he lists these three keys to meaningful community. Love, grace, communion, which is basically sharing a meal together. There's really no way, by the way, to create community faster than putting a meal in front of people. But these two ideas that Paul is dealing with, they're not separate. As though guidance for living in the community 
and the Trinitarian benediction were separate concerns. Rather, Paul is reminding them, remember, our God depends on the relationship between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Our God depends, exists within the love, the grace, and communion of the three in one. And so do you. So prioritize those relationships. Prioritize the community that comes together in late grace and love in communion. So as I said, I am not an epidemiologist or a scientist or a medical experience. I don't really have a six-step plan to solve loneliness, which by the way, the Surgeon General does. But don't relationships sound like something that is pretty central to what we do as church, what we are called to focus on? You know, the German theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote about the importance of community in a small book called Life Together. It's 100 pages. It's a really quick read. And in it, he, he talks about two things in relation to community that I find helpful. First, he says that one of the core reasons that Christians need community, why they need the church, is because while we all know that we are the beloved of God, we actually need to hear that message from outside of ourselves. We actually need to hear somebody say it. And I find this such a helpful message for the church. It's not programming-centric. It's not well, every church should have so many classes or a choir or it's much simpler than that. It's not even saying that churches should spend more time in scripture, which they probably should. It's literally just saying, you need to hear someone say, you are the beloved, God's beloved. And this can be done in a number of ways, right? I can say it from the pulpit. I try to preach on it fairly regularly. Every time I preach a sermon on God's belovedness for us, I get this sense that I don't do it often enough. But we also know as disciples, we do it from the communion table, where we welcome all people to share in the meal of grace and compassion and love. But it can also just be in the regular, everyday life together. When you gather in the narthex with people, when you meet somebody in CWF, or on Celebration Sunday and check in on how they're doing and just say you matter. In fact, we could do it right now. So let's try this. Why don't we all take a moment, turn to one of your neighbors in the pew and just say, you are God's beloved and I am glad you are here. Of course, that's the easy part of community, right? We forget to do it, but once we remember, it's so much fun to let people know, hey, I love you, God loves you. But there's one other thing that Bonhoeffer talks about that really sticks with me. Um, 
you know, there is no such thing as a perfect human community. Maybe the fact that we don't always get along, that there is sometimes conflict, that we are not always nice to one another, is a reminder that while we are created in the image of God, we are not God. That we will fall short and need to forgive and to repair relationships, to reestablish trust when it has been broken. Community can be really messy. It can and often does include conflict. So Bonhoeffer's second piece of advice that I want to give you today is just to accept that this is the case. He recommends that we be careful about the ideal community we all have in our mind. You know, you close your eyes and you imagine what church ought to be like. And then you hold everybody to this impossible standard, a standard that you can't actually even live up to because it's in your head, not in real life. And Bonhoeffer says that our ideal community, our idea of what community ought to be like is actually can be the enemy of the true lived out community because no community, churches not the least, are perfect. There's never been a church that hasn't fought over something. And so be careful that your ideal community doesn't kill the living community. Be careful that your ideal perfect community doesn't make it more difficult to be the people who seek grace and compassion and reconciliation. Because church is going to require it. I don't think that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have to work out their differences in the same way we do, but we are not God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We are human. We've been talking in the church a lot the last several months, really last several years, about the resources that we have We know the ways that God blesses us. We can see all the things that God does for us. We know that all that we have has been part of God's entrusting us and blessing us. But I wonder if sometimes the greatest gift that any church has, including this one, if if it's just so right in front of us, so normal, that we don't realize it's there, that we forget about it, It's like the water we swim in, but it's there. And I wonder if there is any resource the church has that is more valuable than those relationships. The gathering of people who come together to share life together, to love and laugh and cry, to care for one another, uplift one another, and just to say, you were loved. Because in today's world in which there is an epidemic of loneliness, getting together is a powerful thing. And so, are you ready to join the fight against one of the greatest public health crises facing Americans today? All you have to do is do what Christians are called to do in the first place to make room for the lonely, to care for one another, to call people into loving and meaningful relationships, to remind people that they are loved, that they have been accepted by a God of grace. Because we have been created for relationships. 
It is part of our God-given image. And though we may not be perfect at it, let's keep working on it. Practicing grace, compassion, mercy, and welcome. Because the world needs it now more than ever. Amen. Well, as we have gathered for worship today, we invite you to connect with us. If it is your first time worshiping, we would love it if you took a moment to introduce yourself. And we're going to do something today that we haven't done in a little while. COVID, the other epidemic that we all remember, uh, kind of had us pause some of our normal operations. And one of those is offering the invite to folks in our community who have been worshiping with us who want to join us in our walk of discipleship. And so towards the end of this song, I'm going to invite Sheila Kohler to come join me up front. But before we do that, let us stand and sing our song, our hymn of invitation. We've heard, we've heard the names, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit from Andrew. We sing of a God who has so many names, even beyond that, hail and hosanna, bring many names. Genius. 
Well, you may be seated. Well, during the pandemic, when the church initially closed down in March of 2020, we didn't really close down. We changed the way in which we worship together. It didn't really make sense to do an invitation to join the community when there were six of us in the room. Um, and so we sort of changed the way in which we did that invitation to connect. But what that means is that we have folks who have been worshiping with us for a long time who have never had the opportunity to officially join. And Sheila is one of those people who has been with us for a couple of years now, who has jumped in and served in so many different ways, who's become active in the women's group, who has helped with the rummage sale on and on and on. And so today we are gonna take the opportunity to invite her into community. This moment, the membership in this church means two things. It means that you are journeying with us and it means that we as a church are journeying with you. And so part of being a disciple is reaffirming your baptism uh, covenant. And so I just want to ask you the question. I think that might be on. If it's not, they'll be able to hear you. Uh, do you proclaim Jesus Christ Lord and do you proclaim him your savior? I do. <clears throat> and so with that, we invite you to community. We'll be having, again, Celebration Sunday. If you want to join and say welcome to Sheila. So many of us already know her, but it is a great opportunity to say welcome to the community. So welcome. Thank you very much. And now we will sing together, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And the words to this, if you don't know, it's on uh, number 433. And it may be on the screen as well. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in things to think about when I think about that last supper that Jesus shared with his disciple is uh, I have never been to a get together, a family reunion, a Thanksgiving dinner in which people around the story didn't tell stories that began with the phrase, do you remember when? And so I imagine the disciples sitting around the table talking, do you remember when? We were on that boat and the waters raged and Jesus was taking a nap. What a terrible time to take a nap. When we woke him up and he got mad at us. You know, at the moment you were really worried that he was mad, but now looking back on it, it was funny. I imagine them walking around saying, do you remember that day at the Jordan when he walked into the water and approached John and said, I need you to baptize me? Do you remember what happened? Nobody would believe us, but we were all there. We saw it happen, the skies parted and the spirit came down and rested on him. And I think in so many ways as a church community, that's part of what we do. Do you remember when 
We had that graduation Sunday and we embarrassed Amelia in front of the whole church. Do you remember when we gathered as a community and served? Do you remember when? It's part of what it means to be Christian community, to tell stories and remember and to celebrate life together. So as we come to this table, let this be the feast at which when we gather here, we share in God's grace and love and mercy, but in which we also remember our own, that we share life together, that we share this meal together. And so we invite you now to come to this table. Come, all are welcome. gather at this table, we invite our elder Dave Kelsey to ask God's blessing on this bread and this cup. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the gift of the indwelling Holy